Coming up on Chasing the Natty, I hope you all enjoyed our way too early mock draft special last week with our group of immaculate CFF experts and their incredible analysis. Today, Chris Moxley and I are going to break it down even further than that, going round by round and pointing out the picks and potential trends that interest us the most for College Fantasy Football 2024. All that and more coming right after this. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning during the offseason at 6 a.m. sharp. If you want to support the great work we're doing here, head on over to CampusScanton.com. Subscribe there with one of our grandiose tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF, Devi, C2C, IDP, betting needs, whatever really you want to play during the season for college football. We got it all over there. We got rankings, we got articles, we got tools, depth charts galore as part of our C2C Winning Edge package, and even more than that. You can find me and the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared. The show is at Chasing the Natty. And the handsome fella to my right over here is Mr. Chris Moxley at Chris Moxley19 on Twitter. Chris, it has been a while. What have you been up to, man, for those who haven't been following you with Campus of Canton? Man, I... I can't even remember the last time we chatted on on this show. You know, we were we were doing it two seasons ago, last year, I guess, depending on what you qualify as last year. And uh, no, I'm excited to be to be on and and chat about this draft. It's uh, the first foray into really CFF content for the year, and it's extremely interesting to see where everybody's head is at. So yeah. I'm I'm still getting caught up. I feel like just the amount of movement that we're having. So oh, for sure, glad that we're uh, we're trying to decipher all of this yeah it's a bit egotistical but this this draft over the last three years i really do feel like has become the pretty much unofficial maybe even official kickoff for the preceding college fantasy football season it's the first time again a lot of us kind of get together we really kind of take the time to dive into some of these teams figure out who's coming back who's not what does the player pool look like for the next year you give everybody really a starting point for this next year. As we'll probably talk about here today, I don't think that this draft is going to be super representative. It's going to be somewhat representative, but it's not like there's going to be things that change over the next couple of months as we understand teams better, as we understand players coming back a little bit better, as we see a couple of big-time transfers that'll probably happen in the spring. Last year's spring was a little quiet on the transfer front. Obviously, a couple of big names like Zakari Franklin leaving UTSA, going to Ole Miss. That ended up being nothing. But uh, two years before that, uh, Jordan Addison going from Pittsburgh to USC. That happened during the spring time as well. So that was kind of a, like, it's not to say that, like, again, things are going to change between now and August, obviously. But then again, 
this kind of gives everybody a one-stop shop place to look at and say like all right this these are the players we know are coming back these are the players that are, are going to be the names we're going to be talking about over the next eight months so gonna have a great time with it and like i said we're gonna go round by round with this we got a lot to look at here mox you have looked at the draft but you told me that you haven't like truly dove deeply into it so we're gonna get pretty much a live reaction from you today in terms of some of these picks here so that'll be a ton of fun right there let me ask you mox before we get into it some of the questions i asked some of the cff experts and stuff like that regarding this year what are you like how's your overall feel for the player pool this year based on like the research you've done so far for college fantasy football Uh, running back is so deep so deep i feel like you can if you choose to wait and get pretty good players around three and four um i think wide receivers top heavy i think trying to figure out where exactly the drop off is going to be is, is going to be pretty challenging. Like, see, I I see you took Will Pauling in the third at 30, 30, 33 overall. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I have no idea where he's going to go in, yep. in in another draft, right? I and I have no idea if that's good or bad value because I think all the players around him are in the same tier. So it's it's going to be extremely interesting. I think how that firms up as uh, the offseason progresses. Um, quarterback, I, I felt like you know. I think we're basically at the point where we know who the top three are. Yes. And unless something changes, it's going to be Caden Salter, Byron Brown, and Dylan Gabriel. And I think that's probably the right order. But, I mean, I, I, I could argue any of those going as the first quarterback off the board. No, I could totally see that. Again, regarding wide receiver, I think I'm starting to separate myself a little bit because I was in the same boat as pretty much everybody where everybody's saying, like, oh, wide receiver super top-heavy this year. But I started doing something with my analysis this year with – college fantasy wide receivers where I kind of set the number at a hundred targets. If, cause pretty much if you go look at the list of receivers that got a hundred regular season targets in college fantasy or in the regular season last year, pretty much all of them were CFF assets in some way, shape or form at some point during the season, they were guys that you could pretty consistently rely on. And like, that feels like kind of a duh thing, but like at the same time, like that gives me a starting point in terms of looking at these wide receivers and saying like, okay, who can I see a path to getting a hundred targets into in in next year, and so far I've been able to find like right around you know thirty five wide receivers that have a pretty good shot of reaching that number, and so I feel a little bit more comfortable about this wide receiver class just than I did even just a month ago in terms of like I was the same as everybody else where like you know guys like Corey Horton, Luther Burden, Ted McMillan, uh, Jalen Royals, Ricky White. Um, Kevin Concepcion, that was like your top tier guys. And it was super weird after that kind of perf- personal preference at that point. But I don't, I'm feeling pretty good about the wide receivers this year. I, I'm, I'm liking what we got. So, yeah, I, I think that hundred number is pretty interesting, right? Cause you had 50 players who did that last year, I think, or 54, yep. 53, something like that. And I kind of see it shaping out that way as well. Again, like I, I think that, uh, Jaden Higgins pick at, the second to last round that Chris K made, mm-hmm. I could easily see that 100 targets. Yep. I, the same way I could see 100 targets for like Elijah Surratt. Yep. And, and they're, they're five rounds apart. And it's just, I think it's pretty tight, to be honest, at the receiver position currently. Oh, absolutely. Again, we'll definitely get into some more of that. Uh, but first, uh, I gave you guys my spiel at the beginning, but I got a couple of quick announcements here before we really get into it. Got to, got to 
support our good friend Nicholas Ian Allen with our partnership here at Campus Again. His C2C Winning Edge package is probably one of the best deals out there, and it got even better as we recently released the returning production profiles. For those of you who don't know, that is basically a one-stop shop for you to go in and look at what all is returning for each team in the country. Again, that is probably one of the hardest things that we as CFF folks have to do every single year. This is like that perfect time period to do all that research, the quiet months of January and February. Well, Nick has done gone and done like 95% of the work for you. You can just go in, find the team you're interested in, find out, all right, who's coming back at receiver? He also has in there the transfers that are coming in as well. So you not only will you see the percentage of players that are returning, but he also has metrics in there for you to understand how the transfers that are coming in will impact that returning production as well. So totally worth it. Absolutely go check it out. It's part of the C2C Winning Edge package over at Campus of Canton. Well worth your money if you just want a one-stop shop to figure out, all right, what, what all does the player pool look like this next upcoming year? So definitely go check that out. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next one here. Defending the Natty. Huge success with Defending the Natty last month with me and Nate Marquise. Had a great episode there. You guys responded super well to it, so we're going to keep it going. Our next episode will be coming out February 15th. For those of you who don't know, this is the College Fantasy Dynasty podcast that Nate Marquise and I are discussing. We got a great show coming up this month, so absolutely go check that out. In addition, got a... Uh, once again, plug our wonderful t-shirts over at the Campus Canton store. Uh, if you want a great way to directly support Chasing the Natty, not only by buying one of these t-shirts, but also wearing this out, making sure that your friends see it and everything, spreading the word in those ways. It's a great, great way for you to r- truly directly help the show out. So absolutely go check that out. And then last but not least, in addition to this show as well, if you have not already, Go check out last week's way too early CFF mock draft special. Again, 12 teams of college fantasy experts. We got a couple of people who are doubling up, like the guys from G5 Hive and the duo over from CFF lists. So we, you basically hear from 14 CFF experts in this single um, draft special. They each go through their teams, talk about what they see, strategies that they're employing for this year it is really a one-stop shop to really kind of kick yourself off for this next season so absolutely go check all of that out with that being said mox enough of my rambling let's get into this round by round analysis of the way too early cff mock draft 2024 edition guess we'll go ahead and start off with the first round for each of these rounds especially for you audio listeners out there i'm going to run through the uh, 12 players in each of the rounds that'll give Mox a little bit of time to kind of react and to um, kind of analyze from his perspective and also let you guys know exactly what players we'll be talking about in each of these segments. So we'll start with round one here. The 101 in college fantasy football in this first draft was Ashton Gianti, the running back out of Boise State. Follow that up with Ollie Gordon, the running back out of Oklahoma State. After him, at the 103, is Kadon Salter, the quarterback out of Liberty. After him, Darius Taylor, running back out of Minnesota, came off at the 104. After that, you got Byron Brown, the quarterback out of USF, coming off at 105. At 106, you got our first wide receiver off the board, Ted McMillan, the wide receiver out of Arizona. After him, at the 107, Evan Stewart, wide receiver out of Oregon. Following that, you have the... 
Running back out of UNC, Omarion Hampton at the 108 spot. At 109, you got the running back out of UCF, RJ Harvey. At 110, you have Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback, now at Oregon, formerly at Oklahoma. After that, you have Luther Bird and the wide receiver out of Missouri going off at the 111. And then at the 112, Emeka Egbuka, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. So, Mox, I will throw it over to you first, sir. Of these 12 guys, what stands out to you the most? Um, I am fairly surprised that Darius Taylor went as early as he did. And I understand the argument for it. I just think that there is more uncertainty in that backfield than maybe we're assigning credit for because we think Taylor's really good. Um, that feels a little early for me. And maybe I'm just not, like, I haven't gotten there yet. But RJ Harvey, is he is he, like, a first-round talent, you think? I mean, you took him. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm asking maybe the wrong person, but <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just his build that throws me off. Like, he's a smaller back, and I always worry that he's not going to get that full workload. So, uh, we'll start with Darius Taylor. Darius Taylor, again, I think I agree with you that of the 12 picks here, I would say that Darius Taylor is probably the riskiest play out of these guys, except for maybe Evan Stewart, wide receiver out of Oregon from Texas A&M there, because of the fact that, one, Minnesota running backs tend to get hurt because of how much workload they tend to get. And then the other part of it is that, again, Minnesota's not been shy about bringing in running backs this year. They brought in Marcus Major from Oklahoma. They brought in Sabangura up from the MAC. I don't think either of those guys are good enough to out-compete Terrius Taylor for carries, but it sure is a question of will they be enough to kind of knock him off the high horse of potentially getting 30 touches every single game like some of these Minnesota running backs we've seen in the past do. Darius Taylor has been a guy that we've seen get that workload. He's gotten the Muhammad Ibrahim treatment, and it is impressive that he's able to do so as a true freshman. Like Once he got onto the field, man, like there was no looking back. He was the guy they were riding or dying, until he got hurt, which is, kind of, like I said, this, the same old story with Minnesota running backs. So, given that history with that position, it's, um, it's not super boom or bust, because if he plays, he's going to be great. Even, even if Bangura and Marcus Major take some carries away from him, oh no, I go from a guy getting 30 touches per game to a guy getting 20 to 25 touches per game. That's still a really good... CFF asset they're gonna run the hell out of the ball and Darius Taylor can catch the ball so even if they do move to a more pass heavy system we saw in the bowl game they're more than happy to throw the ball Darius Taylor's way they consider him one of their um most legitimate weapons they have out there so I think given the upside and given the history of the position in terms of the value that it can get you on a week-by-week basis so long as Taylor is healthy that warrants a 104 position now, given the depth of the running back position this year, I think the depth of the running back position actually both helps and hurts him because if you want to pass up Darius Taylor and go and grab a guy in the second or third round, that's a very valuable strategy. But also, because of Darius Taylor, if Darius Taylor does get hurt and you take him, 
there's a good possibility you probably took a really good running back in the second and third round as well, and you're probably still pretty a-okay with that. So, again, very split thoughts in my head on Darius Taylor going as high as 104. I still think, given the upside, he's worth a first-round pick. Yeah, I think I think all that's fair. Um, kind of rambled it, a little bit. I, my apologies. No, you're good. I just think I I think you're right on the upside. I just when is PJ Fleck going to actually come to his senses and dial back his RB one workload? Maybe never. But Maybe never. It could happen. It could, especially with the injuries they've had over the last couple of years. You would think that he probably changes that up a little bit. Not not to full committee because we hate when they go full committee, but. You know, bringing it back to, again, that 20, 25 touches per game feels about right there. Now, RJ Harvey, you're asking, do I think he's a first-round pick in CFF this year? I mean, considering the fact that he was the RB6 last year in college fantasy, I'm feeling pretty I good could, about I that. I couldn't believe that yeah. when I saw that. Like, I did not realize he had such a good season. Um, Initially, I was like, man, RJ Harvey there. Riding back six is 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 pretty wild, but I remember down the stretch he was so good. Yeah, like this is how he finished last year in half PPR points: thirty five point six, thirty eight point six, twenty two point two, twenty five point six. That man was like, I I had him in a couple of leagues where I was in the playoffs, and let me tell you, I rode him to a couple of championship spots, man. Like it was absolutely incredible what he was able to do to finish the end of the season there. In a year as strong as this at the running back position, I feel very good about taking R.J. Harvey in the first round. I would take R.J. Yeah. Harvey over Amari and Hampton. I don't know if I'm there, but I'm looking at the next backs, and he probably is in that upper tier. So it's not a... I need to check my biases on R.J. Harvey because he burned me at the beginning of last year a little bit. No, I, so and I, maybe I, totally maybe I need that. to go back and reevaluate because, I mean, he was he didn't have more than 20 touches until week five mm-hmm. then down the stretch he was 20 plus so I, I i the assumption that you're making is then hey i you know his last six weeks of 2023 is way more applicable than his first six which well, are, i mean his first six were like, pretty good as well like, again 25.9 17.4 23.1 23 really the only week you're kind of disappointed by him by was week five where he got 11.6 half PPR points. I think the other thing that we have to remember with RJ Harvey is that he's a really good receiving back. And yeah, like John Rice Plumley is not the strongest passing quarterback in the world. So dump offs to the running back were quite common last year. I'm hoping that continues this year with KJ Jefferson as well. Maybe that changes. Cause I think Jefferson's a little bit better of a passer than JRP was, but even still like, yeah, he's I, absolutely I, a weapon. I guess there. I was more concerned not with the efficiency, but the, the touches like 10 carries, 15 carries, 14 carries, 13 carries. Yep. No fair. Like that's a little, that's a little worrisome, but I mean, I get it. Like obviously RB six on the year and like he's a touchdown machine. He scored 16 touchdowns. So I, I get it. Yep. I just, maybe I need to check my biases. Uh, a couple more things. One thing I wanted to discuss here real quick is going back to the top here. Um, Ashton GNT, Ollie Gordon. Feels like those are like the top two assets this year, right? Like, I don't see a draft where yeah. those two aren't the first two off the board, just given how absolutely incredible their seasons were last year when they were healthy, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's the two I would take. I think 
I prefer Gene T um, because he's going to step into probably even a bigger workload this year. <laughs> and I mean, he had 200, 220 carries last year, and I think he could get to what, 250? Yeah, I think I so. I mean, he's he's the primary back, and they're going to rely on him. I, I, I think he's he's personally my RB1, but I understand the argument for Ollie Gordon. Um, I just, Oklahoma State somehow gets it done each year, but I really didn't think that team was going to be very good last year, and they turned it around pretty quick. So that, it was, a lot of that was Ollie Gordon. <laughs> I, I need a 30 for 30 on that Oklahoma State team last year because that was a team that went from getting blown out by South Alabama to ending up in the Big 12 championship, which is just like, the, the <laughs> that should never happen in the same season. Not sure what happened there. Maybe the Big 12 was just super weak last year. We just never really realized it. All right. Let's go on to the second round here, Mox. And we'll start here. At the 201, we had Phil Moffa, the running back out of Clemson. At 202, we had Ricky White, the wide receiver out of UNLV. At 203, we had the wide receiver out of Colorado State, Torrey Horton, come off the board. At 204, you got Jalen Royals, the wide receiver out of Utah State, come off the board. At 205, Sean Atkins, the wide receiver out of South Florida. At 206, Ishmael Mahdi, the running back out of Texas State, came off at two, again at 206. 207, Kevin Concepcion, the wide receiver out of NC State. At 208, Cedric Baxter Jr., or CJ Baxter to some of you, the running back out of Texas, comes off the board there. At 209, Taj Brooks, the running back out of Texas Tech, comes off the board. At 210, Tej Johnson, the wide receiver of Oregon, comes off. At 211, Xavier Restrepo, the wide receiver out of Miami, comes off the board. And then at 212, Devin Neal, the running back out of Kansas, is our final pick of the second round. So Moxley, looking at those 12 guys there, what strikes your interest the most? All of these receivers feel like interchangeable. Like you could have told me that um, Tez Johnson went, you know, where Ricky White went, and I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, they all feel like they have very similar ceilings and very similar floors. The only one, and I pushed back against this um, in our, our Slack, is I just have no idea what to think of Kevin Conception. Like, I really don't. I don't mm-hmm. think his workload's going to be quite the same, or at least utilized the same. They really had no talent in that room last year. He was the only one who mattered. I just, I'm a little less um, excited about him than I think the majority of drafters are. Like, I probably won't end up, end up with much of him um if he's gonna go middle middle of the second round i don't think it's a bad pick i just i'm not quite there on him um i think that film off of pick is pretty interesting um i actually had no idea where i would rank him this year and i kept like pushing him up because will shipley's gone he's mm-hmm. the better back clemson has a pretty easy schedule being in the acc outside of georgia week one yeah. um but I mean, he's going to get a huge workload. Like he could, he yep. could have an Ollie Gordon type season. Like I think 250 to 280 carries is in the range of outcomes for Phil Moffa. So I really like his floor, and I think he has obviously the ceiling. So let me start with Kevin Concepcion because I'm kind of with you. Where like my initial thought was like, okay, Kevin Concepcion, he's like one of the six elite wide receivers coming back this last year. Wide receiver 16 as a true freshman last year. Like, that is super, super impressive. Like, you want to, like, 
you you would think that like oh okay if he did that his true freshman year there's nowhere but up from that point right well he was super efficient very impressive obviously he did what he was able to do last year on the in the regular season with 95 targets and again didn't quite hit that 100 target threshold that I would love to see but I think again I think that there is a natural thought process that he will probably get above that 100 yard or 100 target threshold this year given the fact it's another year in the system clearly he is a guy that they want to feed and feature in that offense so he'll be the leading wide receiver in this NC State offense again hopefully Grayson McCall is as good as we think he'll be and can provide what we need in order for Concepcion to be flourishing which if Brennan Armstrong and the washed up nature that he was in last year was able to do so, I have no problem expecting Grayson McCall to do the same. And again, Robert and I had tons of history with featuring wide receivers. Again, Aranda Gatson during his time at Syracuse, yes, tight end, whatever. Aranda Gatson was a wide receiver for them and was very good for them as a wide receiver. Um, a couple years ago, in that incredible year that Virginia had with Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I, uh, Kitson Thompson reached 112 targets. And so, again, the path is there for Concepcion to be great for them this year. I just don't really see how he gets into that next elite tier where, again, I, I put that threshold like 100 targets, right? Like, that's a good CFF option. If you can get, like, above 120 that's where I think that you're getting into that elite tier where you belong in the first or second round. And given the history with Robert and system, the fact that his best wide receiver got 112 targets in the regular season with Keaton Thompson that year at Virginia. And they're also bringing in Noah Rogers and Wesley Grimes to kind of help distribute those targets a little bit. I don't see Concepcion quite as that elite wide receiver, if that makes sense. That's that's where I'm at, right? They they had nobody in that room last year, that, like honestly nobody. Yeah, I thought it was one of the worst Power Five uh, receiving rooms in the country. Now they actually have someone competent who, well, I'm not sure what his ceiling is. No, no, Rogers. I don't think he was quite as good as his recruiting grade suggested. He's certainly an upgrade though, mm-hmm. and I think Wesley Grimes is pretty good. So, yeah, Casey Conception is going to have probably 110 targets. Is assuming he stays healthy. I just, I, I just, I'm just not quite there. The, he's utilized in like extremely manufactured touch ways, mm-hmm. and so he will get his touches. He will probably get eight touches a game between you know receiving and rushing. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't see that ceiling there. Like I do see that ceiling for someone like Tez Johnson who went after him. Yep, because of how he's used. And because how explosive he is and not understanding what Evan Stewart's going to be yet. Like, I think there's risk in that pick as well, but I've already seen him do it with good players around him. I haven't seen that from Casey Conception yet. So that's the concern that I have. No, for sure. And then Phil Moffa, again, he was one of the guys that I wrote down as somebody to talk about this round. And to me, it feels like he's being drafted at his ceiling in this Again, you're right, Moxley. There's a path for him to have an absolutely incredible season this year. Um, we saw, like, with, with when Will Shipley went down, Phil Moffa just performed better as a down-to-down back for them when 
Will Shipley was taken off the field. Moffa came in and felt like an instant upgrade at any given time there. His four touchdowns in the bowl game were incredible, even though he had, I think, like, what, right around 10 touches? It wasn't like a super... Yeah, a, a pretty crazy uh, touchdown efficiency in that game. So obviously you can't expect that in the regular season at, at the same time. But like I said, the path is there for him to be absolutely incredible. And just look at what Clemson's running back recruiting over, has been over the last couple of years. There's really nobody in that room that you look at and say like, oh, that's going to be the guy that's going to compete with Mafa for touches this year. So the path is there. But it's one of those things where we haven't quite fully seen it yet and we've seen him kind of go up and down in terms of the touches again will shipley being a factor there of course but i don't know when i did my research here and i kind of try to project what he could probably do next year the highest i could get him to finish in last year's rankings if if he had a better season last year was around rb17 here i think he is like what the seventh running back seventh or eighth running back off the board here and so i think this is probably a little bit rich for my taste but also again if you're a believer in Mafa, i think you're going to be perfectly comfortable taking him around this range yeah no i i i get it right i'm talking about i'm talking i got both sides of my mouth right like i'm like well this player hasn't done it yet so i'm a little concerned that i'm projecting Mafa to <laughs> seize the workload right he had, i mean he had 179 carries last year i mean yeah. i think he's getting at least 250 more yeah like i, I at minimum uh, you give him 50 more carries i mean I, and they're not gonna they're not gonna throw with kate klubnik i don't think i think they're just gonna game manage it the way they can so i am projecting a big jump yep. but if he does not take that big jump then this is a very risky pick i think the best back in the the backup is the true freshman that's coming in mm-hmm. that our games can't recruiting team so high on david I think it's pronounced as a moment or as a mummy. I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> um, but we're, we really like him, but still as a true freshman, they're not just going to hand the reins to him. Yeah. So yeah, I, ex- I expect Moffat to be pretty good, but there is risk. Oh yeah, absolutely. For sure. And then a couple of guys I want to touch on here were Devin Neal and Taj Brooks. I feel like those two are going to rise compared to like where Mafa and, Ishmael Mahdi, like Ishmael Mahdi and Mafa to me are going to come back a little bit, given that there's a little bit of unknown there. Mahdi and Texas State, Texas State's bringing in a lot of running back transfers. So it's kind of tipping the hand that they probably don't want to make him the future, or they want to make him the, the number one back, obviously, but they don't want him to be that guy that they're getting 25, 30 carries to every single game here. Meanwhile, Devin Neal and Taj Brooks, like what's changing from them from last year? I mean, Taj Brooks... Finished the season incredibly. His um, second half of the season, he was at a running back 16 pace, which is extremely safe for college fantasy. I think people are going to value that. He'll rise up a little bit. Devin Neal was a top 10 running back in CFF last year. Again, I believe the OC is changing a little bit this year, but as long as Lance Leopold's there, they're going to ride Devin Neal a ton over there. So I feel like he's another very safe guy. That's probably people are going to put them both over guys with a little bit more risk like Mafa, like Madi, and even Cedric Baxter, who as much as I like him, I have as my RB5, given the Sarkeesian backs role. We're not 100% that, you know, Jalen Blue maybe can't have himself a great spring and maybe he overtakes Cedric Baxter. We'll see. But Neil and Brooks, I think, will rise up a little bit here and get themselves a little bit earlier into the second round. What do you think about that, Box? 
I I don't know. I actually think the loss of Andy Kotelnicki for Kansas is pretty big. Okay. So I don't know what that offense is going to look like. And I, I wonder if the efficiency drops. Like, it's still Kansas, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the concern that they are, generally speaking, overmatched in most games, especially along the lines of scrimmage. If the system isn't quite up to par, then I think you could see him fall back a little bit. So that's the concern I have there. And then, I mean, Todd Brooks had, I don't know if he led the country in rush attempts last year, but he had to be pretty close. I mean, they he had games of 30, like, consistently, just like 30 carries, 30 carries, 30 carries, mm-hmm. over and over. I, I wonder if they dialed that workload back a little bit, just to keep him healthy. Um, I don't know, to, to be honest. I, he, I think he reached his peak last year. Like, I'm not sure there's higher for him to go, is my concern. But that's not a bad spot to pick him either. Like, who mm-hmm. else, what other running back do you think has that 290, like, potential to repeat? So I, I don't, I don't mind that there. I do. I should have brought up Baxter early. I think that's a little high for him. Okay. I, again, I think given the system, like I, I would be perfectly comfortable, if, especially if I had another running back taken in the first round. Like if I took, if, if he somehow fell to me at the end of the second round and I had Ashton GT or Ollie Gordon, heck yeah, I take the shot on Cedric Baxter. That's a massive upside shot as my second running back. If I, if I went into the season with the Mike Gundy RB and the, Steve Sarkeesian RB as my top two running backs, I would consider myself the prohibitive favorite going into the season. Yeah. I, I just, I didn't think CJ Baxter was very good last year. No, to be honest. That's the, that's the concern I have. Like, I just think, didn't think he looked good. I, <laughs> I, I, like, I would agree with that. I guess I, I, that's, I, my, that's my biggest issue, but I think it also says something that when they needed a backup, they immediately went to him over blue. Now blue had himself some really good games near the end of the year that I think will make the spring a bit more interesting. But I think it says something that as a freshman Baxter was looked at as probably the primary backup from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, blue is still coming off an injury. That's also so true. I, I wonder if, I wonder if he was healthy, if it would have changed at all. I don't know. That's, that's part of the risk with, with, that selection that um, like all, all of those factors are, are going towards that. Alrighty. Let's move on to the upside. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the upside. Um, Let's move on to round three here. Uh, At three Oh one, we got Jaden Ott, the running back at a cow at three Oh two, Joey Hobart, the wide receiver at a Texas state at three Oh three DJ Giddens running back at a Kansas state at three Oh four Jalen white, the running back at a Georgia Southern at three Oh five, Eugene Wilson, the third, the wide receiver out of Florida at 306, Jordan James, the running back out of Oregon. At 307, Pofale Ashlock, the wide receiver out of Hawaii. At 308, Haynes King, the quarterback out of Georgia Tech. At 309, Will Pauling, the wide receiver out of Wisconsin. At 310, Donovan Edwards, the running back out of Michigan. And then at 311, Damian Martinez, the running back out of Oregon State. And to round out the round, I guess. Uh, at three twelve, Makai Hughes, the running back out of Tulane. So, Mox, what stands out to you here, man? I like the Joey Hobart selection a lot. I think that often just gonna keep clicking. Basically, um, I love the DJ Giddens selection too. I I I think Giddens could end up in the second round. Um, this year, I just think he's sure. a really really talented player, and we've seen um backs of all sizes succeed in that offense. So. Not super concerned. I know they're they're changing some stuff um, offensively, but I, I think it also says think... something. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I I just think that it'll be consistent enough. I think it also says something that uh, 
Treshawn Ward transferred out again at the end of the year. I think oh, yeah, Giddens is way better than Ward. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. Giddens <laughs> is better, but like Ward, Ward not only said like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be relegated to the backup now. Like he just said, I'm out. Like I'm, I'm not going to compete yeah. with this guy. So for sure, and he has to tell some great games at the end of the year. Oh um, yeah, and he, he's a good receiver too. Oh yeah. So I think you're getting a lot of, a lot of uh, value with him. I mean, thirty re- twenty nine receptions and two hundred twenty three carries, two hundred fifty plus, and he didn't even wasn't the featured back in a lot of games either. Like he oh, yeah. only had more than 20 carries outside the bowl game three times. So I think there's a higher ceiling there for him. Um, I think he's a pretty darn good player too. Um, the, the only concern I have with taking Haynes King here, and I just, I don't think he's better than the guys to go like five rounds later. Mm-hmm. I, that's, I understand the upside. I thought he actually played really well last year at Georgia Tech. But man, I don't know that I would have pulled the trigger there. I think I would rather have waited personally. I think there's two things going on here. One, this is the first quarterback taken since the first round. So you're talking about almost 15 or longer than that. You're you're talking almost 20, 23 picks. Since the last quarterback was taken, I bet the person who took Haynes King here was kind of anticipating that this late third round was where some of these like second tier quarterbacks outside of the top three guys were going to start coming off the board. And I think that gamble did not pay off because we didn't, we don't see another quarterback. I'll go ahead and spoil this. We don't see another quarterback go off until the end of the fourth round. And then one quarterback's taken in the fourth round. One quarterback's taken in the fifth round. And the sixth round is where you see quarterbacks really start flying off the board. So I bet if that person had to do this, do this again, they probably would have waited a little bit longer and grabbed some of those guys that fell a little bit further. Maybe that would that, that's going to cause Haynes King to fall down a little bit. That's where I think he's going to end up shifting, is back towards those groups. But also at the same time, Mox, yeah. you're talking about a guy that was QB8 last year. Now, granted a metric boatload of rushing touchdowns. He was incredible in the red zone last year. That's part of the reason why he was so incredible. And also like it kind of answered the question of what would Todd Monken's offense look like at a school that did not have a defense to constantly prop it up and how would that impact it for fantasy? Cause Buster Faulkner basically was running the Todd Monken system at Georgia tech, given his experience at Georgia. And so you go there that's an offense that can be super efficient, super great when they're forced to score constantly. And we saw that with Haynes King. When the, when, the, when the guys are actually out there for all four quarters, it's incredible for fantasy. So if you believe in that again, obviously Haynes King is a great pick here. I just think he'll end up sliding a little bit more probably in the next draft. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, I understand the logic of trying to beat the run to get your guy though. I mean, it's, it's smart, especially if you, you're... Haynes King is my QB four, which this person it was. Mm-hmm. I just I see the value slip so much further. I'm like ah, but that's 2020, right? Like you don't know yeah. exactly how the draft is going to go, especially the first draft of the year. Um, For sure. So, a couple of guys I really like in this draft. Again, obviously the running backs here are. It, it just continues to show just how deep this running back group is. Again, Ott, Giddens, White, Martinez. Those are all guys I had in my top 15. And then guys like um, 
guys like James and Makai Hughes and even Edwards to an extent, I feel pretty comfortable with, especially if you're getting those guys as like your RB2s, RB3s even. If you're going with a 3RB strategy to start off with your draft, I'd feel very comfortable with those guys. But I really like three of the wide receivers in this range, Joey Horbert, Puffalay Ashlock, Will Pauling. I mentioned earlier, 100, yard, 100 targets where I like to get, 120 I start considering elite. Pauling, Ashlock, Hobart, all three guys that I can see getting 120 plus targets this next upcoming year, and you can get that in the third round. Oh, baby, I'm I'm loving that. I'm feeling very, very good about all three of those picks. Again, a little biased with the Pauling pick because it, it was my pick, but given how he ended the year, man, I, I don't see how he just doesn't pick up where he left off next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, receivers just so deep in this round. Uh, like, it, it's pretty incredible how, how much value you can get. I have no idea what's going to happen in the Hawaii offense. They're talking about running it a little bit differently, like not a true, true air raid, more um, like tight end heavy, not heavy, but like actually use a tight end. So I'm curious what that offense is going to look like. But I mean, you saw what Ashlock did as a freshman. So I think we feel pretty good about projecting him forward. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, I love that. No, I was going to say, I love the Makai Hughes pick too. Um, that's another high floor player who has like 300 touches to 300 touch ceiling considering what John Summerall did with Kamani Vidal at oh, yeah. Troy. Like, I don't think he's, he's uh, too worried about riding his guy and he's was that for Tulane anyway last year. Yeah. The only risk I could see is like, again, Summerall comes in just for some reason, any off the field issues. Like he's just like, I don't, I don't, I don't like Hughes. We're going to ride somebody else. But like, yeah. that's something you cannot predict. Simple as that. Um, the why uh comment is interesting because again i think i'm not too terribly worried about it because given what uh timmy chang he worked under jay norvell over there at nevada for a long time so you're talking about a guy who's been there when he's had like a really good tight end and everything like that with cole turner and they still had really productive wide receivers there and i it doesn't really impact me that much if ashlock regarding Ashlock and then later Stephen McBride, I think both of those guys will be just fine. Um, it just really gives a third a third target for that offense to run through. The major question with the Hawaii offense is, can Braden Shager actually become a better quarterback? And that's probably the thing I'm most worried about because he, really <laughs> he really limited the upside of Ashlock and McBride at times last year. Yeah, I, I think so, personally. I think you're going to see a better version of him. But for Pafeli Ashlock, it probably doesn't matter. His A dot is pretty darn close to the line. Like he, he oh, yeah. gets manufactured touches, even though he's like six two. So they'll, he will get his, his, um, his touches. It's just, will the offense be explosive and hit mm -hmm. downfield shots? I don't, I don't know. That is a major question. I agree. All right. Anything else I want to talk about in this round? Nope. Pretty much hit everything there. So let's go ahead and move on to round four, round quattro. And at the 401, we got TJ Harden, the running back out of UCLA, coming off the board. At 402, Jalen Buckley, the running back out of West, uh, Western Michigan, coming off the board. At 403, Elijah Surratt, the wide receiver out of Indiana, comes off the board. At 404, uh, the running back out of Liberty, Quinton Cooley, comes off the board. At 405, Alec Ayo Menor, the wide receiver out of Stanford, comes off. At 406, Rock Taylor, the wide receiver out of Memphis, 
at 407, Trey Harris, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. At 408, LaQuint Allen, the running back out of Syracuse. 409, you got Jamal Prichett, the wide receiver out of South Alabama, hopefully there to um, replace Colin Lacey. At 410, Easton Messer, wide receiver out of Western Kentucky, taking over that slot role over there. At 411, Brennan Presley, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma State. And then at 412, um, our fifth quarterback off the board, I believe, Garrett Green, quarterback out of Western or West Virginia. Excuse me. So, Mox, who stands out here, man? Um, I'll do a good and a bad. I... Excuse me. Sorry. You're good. Um, I'm not sure I would take Elijah Surratt here. A huge step up in competition. Probably improved quarterback play, to be honest, with Curtis Rourke. But it's still Indiana, and I am I really need to see it from him before I um, want to take him this high. I just think there's – it's a big adjustment, and it could go not super well. Um, I think getting LeQuint Allen here is pretty cool, though. Like, that's pretty late for him. I thought he would have gone higher. Um, I think he has untapped upside, and I, I, I'm very interested to see how that staff uses him. Um, I think he, he could be pretty prolific as a receiver if they want to use him that way. Mm-hmm. So I like him, especially as my um, my RB two. Like that's a pretty good RB two. I'm 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 loving that our minds are melting so much here, Mox. Because those those are literally the two names that I wrote down to discuss in this round again. Elijah Surratt, <laughs> you kind of nailed it on the head. Like he is a power five wide receiver in my opinion, right? Like he he showed it last year playing for James Madison. You watch the film. He is a dude that looks like he would he would perform well at pretty much any level of college competition. Like I was super impressed by him. His finish last year was on pace if he had gone gone through the whole season at the pace he did after the bye week. Was on pace for 116 regular season targets. Was explosive. Um played all over the field out wide in the slot. Pretty much did whatever James Madison needed to do. He's following his coaching staff, which is certainly something you like to see there, even if he is jumping up in Power 5 competition. My thing is that, like you said, Mox, we can't fully just project. I think we can actually... Let me say that again. I think we can project volume again here, which is why I do think that he is a CFF-relevant asset. I have him at wide receiver 35 currently. So I do think 116 targets is perfectly possible for him and i do think he'll clear that 100 100 target threshold i've been saying my problem is does his a dot drop does his completion percentage drop in terms of what which balls he's able to bring in that is going to impact him in a pretty big way is his touchdowns going to be much more limited than what he had at james madison because james madison could run roughshod over a ton of those sunbelt programs over there and he could have two or three touchdown opportunities per game how many is he going to get with Indiana? How much do you trust uh, trust Curtis Rourke? Curtis Rourke, we liked him in the MAC, but again, moving up to Big Ten, that's a huge jump of competition for him. And again, we've seen Kurt Signetti work some real magic with some terrible quarterbacks the last two years, so I trust them on that front. But I'm with you, Mox. Four three to me is just a little bit too high. I'd probably be I'd be more okay with him going off like maybe round six. I think round six, I'd be a bit more comfortable. What about you, Mox? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I just, I don't know, to be honest, what, what to expect from that Indiana offense this year at all, really. It, that's, I think, one of the most difficult teams to project. 
And then for LeQuint Allen, I pretty much had the same thought as you, but maybe in the other direction. Because I currently have him as my RB36. And as... If you were to project him from last year, right? He finished as... Let me see. Yeah, he finishes the RB31 last year in college fantasy. Now, granted, obviously some serious issues with Syracuse to end the year. Um, quarterbacks going down. He had a tight end basically playing quarterback, running a triple option offense in some way, shape, or form for the Orange. So clearly things were just kind of messed up at the end of the season. Hopefully they get a much better coaching system going on there to finish the year. But because of that coaching change and because of because of us not really knowing the play calling tendencies of pretty much anybody on that staff, because pretty much all of these guys have not held um, head coach positions. I believe one of the co-offensive coordinators has had um, has had play calling duties before, and when he did, it was a committee approach at the running back position, which I don't think that's set in stone. I think they'll recognize that Quint Allen, they were able to get him to stay. They're not able to get him to stay unless they tell him, like, hey, you're still going to be our guy for the most part there. So I'm pretty much at the point where, like, I think he'll probably do what he did last year, maybe a little bit more spread out to where it's not quite as front half heavy, falls off towards the end of the year. Maybe it's a bit more evened out throughout the year. So instead of getting 30-point games in the first part and then 10, 15-point games second half, maybe it's about 20 consistent across the board there. And then I probably decrease it just a little bit, just because of the uncertainty. That's pretty much how I arrived at RB thirty six. So I yeah, think so he goes, he goes RB eighteen here. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably where I will have him ranked. But the reason that I I like him probably more than um maybe consensus is this is Syracuse schedule in twenty twenty four. I forgot Ohio, about their schedule. Their schedule is cake. Georgia Tech, Stanford, Holy Cross, UNLV, NC State, tough matchup, and it's in Raleigh. Pitt, Virginia Tech, who we, we think is improving, Boston College, Cal, UConn, and then Miami to end the season. Which defense there really scares you? NC State, like, probably. Really, really scary. Probably NC State. Yeah, probably NC State. But everything and- else... Miami's got some talent on their defense. Again, they just haven't shown that they've been able to push that talent to, like, or they, they haven't they, maximized that down. talent yet. I think they'll shut down Allen. I think NC State can shut down Allen. But that's Other a that, pretty darn no, that schedule. schedule for, I forgot for about that schedule. That, that That is pretty insane. You're you're probably right. That, that, that'll probably warrant bumping him up slightly. But again, just, like, a little bit of, a little bit of uh, uncertainty there. Uh, again, the, because yeah, of how that, deep this fair. running back group, because of how deep this running back class is, right? Like you can have a little bit of uncertainty with a guy, and suddenly they drop like six spots because you're like, okay, a little bit of uncertainty makes me feel better about the five guys behind him because they're all so close together. What's funny is I actually think he's the last of his tier. Um, like okay. the next group of running backs that go off, I think have more questions than he does. Really? Because so, there's, there's, there, there's some guys in this next round, which is this is a great segue. There's some guys in this next round that I very much, very much like at running back. So we'll take a look at this. At the 501, not a running back, or some people might say that he is. Uh, Thomas Castellanos, the quarterback out of Boston College, comes off the board. At 502, Quali Conley comes off the board, formerly from San Jose State. When we did this draft, uh, he was still at San Jose State, and Brett Brennan had not been hired to Arizona yet to give you guys a little bit of context as to when this draft was 
At 503, Quinshawn Judkins, the running back out of Ohio State, comes off the board. At 504, Will Shepard, the wide receiver out of Colorado, comes off the board. At 505, Eric Singleton, the wide receiver out of Georgia Tech, comes off the board. At 506, Jaquavius Marks, the running back out of uh, Southern California, comes off the board. At 507, Mario Anderson, the running back out of Memphis, uh, transferring over from South Carolina, he comes off. At 508, Malik Sherrod, the running back out of Fresno State, is there. At 509, Gavin Sawchuck, the running back out of Oklahoma. At 510, Ontario Brown, the running back out of Northern Illinois. At 511, uh, Zachariah Branch, the talented wide receiver out of USC, comes off the board. And to round out the round, we got Derwin Burgess, the wide receiver out of Georgia Southern, coming off at 512. So, Mox, so let's just continue our conversation from the last round here. I personally am a big fan of guys like Malik Sherrod and Gavin Sawchuk in this range. And if, if Quali Conley was still at San Jose State, yeah. I would put all three of those guys above LaQuint Allen. I think those are like, especially Sherrod and Sawchuk, those are the values of this round here, right? Like, Sherrod was absolutely on fire to end last year. Sawchuk was, to end the year... His last six games, I believe it's his last six games, was on pace for an RB10 season. So if he picks up right where he left off, like you're getting an insane value here in the fifth round. But is it the other guys like Judkins, Marks, Anderson, or, and Brown? Are those the ones that kind of give you a little bit more pause? Yeah. Um, I just, I'm not really sold on Jaquavius Marks actually being a good running back, to to be frank. Um, I So I'm not, I just... I don't think I'll draft him at all, really. I and I've I've done that like every year with him. Like I just I just don't ever draft him because I'm not sure how good he is. Um, I don't think Mario Anderson's as good as Blake Watson is. Um, I think Mario Anderson's pretty good. Don't know what to expect of that uh, split there, though. If there is going to be one, mm-hmm. um, I like Malik Sherrod, though. I'm I'm with you on that. I have no idea what to think about Gavin Sawchuk's workload. I don't know that they want to run him as much as they did to end the year, and I actually think that the transfer they brought in Sam Franklin from UT Martin's not a bad player. No. So pretty interested to see how that room shakes out. Cause I, I, I think they want to get a little bit more committee ish just to keep guys fresh, but I, I don't know for sure. So I don't have a strong feeling on Sawchuck to be honest, or one way or another. No, I gotcha. And again, like to me, this round, like you, you were talking about like, this is the tier drop for running back. This is where in the draft, when we were drafting, I started to kind of feel like this is where things start getting very much more unsettled. This is where guys start, like, this is a bit more pick your guy, your preference here. I see a lot of movement among these guys here in the near future. Like Sawchuk, I I said, again, top 10 running back pace. I could see him moving up into that third or fourth round range because, you know, people take him as a second running back, take that upside there. Will Shepard, there's wildly different opinions this year on how to treat this Colorado offense. I think you'll have groups of people where Will Shepard, if they think that that offense picks back up and he gets that Xavier Weaver role, he could be a guy that moves up from the fifth round. But there could be a group of guys who are completely off of Colorado, right? And you're not going to see Will Shepard or any of those wide receivers from Colorado come off the board until maybe like the 10th or 11th round. I could see that him moving up and down. Um, Judkins, another one, right? Like different groups of people are going to view that backfield for Ohio State differently. Some people are going to be fully off of 
both of them. Some people are going to prefer Henderson above him. Judkins, um, some people can view Judkins as less. He can move up and down. We'll definitely see. Branch, Zachariah Branch, another one. And this is where a uh, conversation that Chris K and I were having on Twitter the other day where, again, we love the talent, right? Like, Zachariah Branch looks incredible as a freshman year. He, you think he can only improve in his sophomore year. But Lincoln Riley has not had a wide receiver top 70 targets in the regular season for years now. And so that very much caps his upside as a CFF pick unless you think he can break off a 50-yard touchdown pretty much once every other game. So, I don't know. What, not what saying you, he can't. Not saying he can't. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's where, like, if, if I didn't believe he couldn't do that, I would be like, this is one of the worst picks in the draft. But because I think he can do that, I can understand why somebody could take him as high as this. But also, I would understand why somebody would wait until maybe the 10th round and could potentially yeah. push him down later. I don't know. I think his range of outcomes is very wide because... I don't think he was quite there as a route runner. So what you're getting is probably manufactured touches, like a couple of other receivers in this, right? Mm -hmm. So how many of those touches is he actually going to get? I don't know. I, I probably would not have taken him here. I probably wouldn't have taken Will Shepard here either. Just like you said, that I both of those situations have so much uncertainty, um, but also a lot of upside. So I understand taking the the stab at the player. It's just, you know, what do you, what do you do? Um, and Favorite pick, the one Mox. thing I'll say about Judkins. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. Uh, no, I, the one I, thing I say about Judkins is Henderson going where he did. I don't think that's going to continue, and we'll we'll get to that pick later. But the gap between them should not be close. It should probably meet in the middle. Yeah, I agree. It, it, that 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 stuck out to me when we were doing this draft. For those, uh, I'll go ahead and spoil. It. Henderson doesn't go off for another four rounds. So the gap the gap between those two guys being four rounds feels just a little ridiculous in my opinion so i agree with you Th those guys will probably shift towards one another as this goes on uh, a lot of negativity negative talk this round mox um who's your favorite pick out of this draft or out of this mo out of this round excuse me it would have been it would have been conley if brett brennan hadn't left i know <laughs> um okay if conley goes to arizona um no it, it, probably not well jonah coleman is gone Potentially, I, but part of what made him so good is that he played at San Jose State. That's true, right? Like, it's a step up in competition. Um, in the Big Ten or Big Twelve, uh, it's probably Malik Sherrod. Yeah, I think I think Sherrod's a pretty darn good pick there. I I probably would have taken him around earlier, to be honest. I think he belongs in that range. So maybe Allen's not the end of that tier. Maybe it's Sherrod. And I maybe I need to do a little bit more into Gavin Sawchuk because I know a lot of backs left that. Um. That running back room and Tawi Walker and Marcus Major both did, mm -hmm. and he's added size too because oh, yeah. he's really darn tiny when he came into Oklahoma, and he's gotten close to 200. So maybe they're willing to use him more as a um, feature back if, if that's the case. So yeah, and that's and that's why he was so um, quiet to start the season because they still he he still wasn't quite where they wanted him to be. For, from yeah. what I remember, Nate, uh, you're the Oklahoma expert. You can DM me after this and tell me the tell me the full story and everything. But I do remember like that was part of the deal was that like once he got to where they wanted him to be that's when they started riding him a lot more so we'll see all right let's go into round six almost two-thirds of the way through this uh at 601 
KJ Jefferson, the quarterback out of South, or Central Florida, formerly of Arkansas, comes off the board at 602. Jackson Dart, the quarterback out of Ole Miss, at 603. Colin Lacey, the transfer wide receiver from South Alabama, now at Louisville, at 604. Carnell Tate, the wide receiver out of Ohio State. At 6.05, Jaheim White, the running back out of West Virginia. At 6.06, Seth Hennigan, quarterback out of Memphis, comes off the board. At 6.07, Nico Iamalieva, quarterback out of Tennessee, comes off. At 6.08, Kyron Lacey, the wide receiver out of LSU, followed up by Shador Sanders, the quarterback out of Colorado, at the 6.09. At 6'10", you see Abu Sama III, the running back out of Iowa State, comes off. And at 6'11", Riley Leonard, the quarterback out of Notre Dame, formerly of Duke, gets taken. And then at 6'12", to round out the round, Elijah Badger, the wide receiver out of Arizona State, finishes finishes us up. So, Mox, what stands out to you here, man? Okay, I'm going to be a little more positive this round because I actually like a lot of these picks. I love Um, some of these picks. Yeah, I I mean I like KJ Jefferson at first. Like that's a that's a good value I think for him. Um, getting him in the sixth round, uh, Jackson Dart too. Um, I uh, Seth Hannigan. I mean I think he's gonna have a huge year at Memphis. Nico Iamalieva, him as well, right? Like I, even if he isn't quite there as a passer yet, he you saw in the bowl game he's willing to use his legs. Um. I'm not sure. I think Abu Sama goes much higher as the season progresses. Really? To be honest. All season progresses. Yeah, I I do. What what is the like why wouldn't he? I don't I guess I don't understand why he like sixth round maybe that's fair, but I think he set up for like a pretty good season. I think the main thing that puts me off a little bit because again i i like him a lot like where do i have him ranked i have abu sama oh jesus oh god i have an rb i got an rb 47 um um maybe i wasn't as high on him as i thought i was but he but here but here's the thing with him right like he is so up and down again granted he's a true freshman right like you think this is gonna this is gonna even out right but like he went from having games of 10 yards per carry to all of a sudden the very next week it's two less than two yards per carry back up to 17 yards per carry against kansas state and then in the bowl game against memphis 0.3 yards per carry like he has himself some real bad dud weeks and again hopefully that improves as he gets another offseason of rev as the clear number one guy maybe for this iowa state offense but even so, like that that's kind of what puts me off a little bit. And I think that there's plenty of people out there that look at that inconsistency and say, maybe not quite for me. That's that's kind of the argument against Abusama. Now, I think like forty seven probably a little bit too I'm probably <laughs> probably a little too harsh on him there. I think that's that was probably one of those things where like as I'm doing my rankings, I just kept putting guys like ahead of other guys and yeah. I didn't realize that Abusama was kind of falling down a little bit. I had to be honest. Probably let me let me do this real quick. Uh, yeah, I, I put him. I put him mid thirties. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, he went RB twenty eight here. Yeah. Um, the reason that I think that I am higher on him is he had double digit carries once in the regular season, mm-hmm. like sixteen the last week of the season when he went for two seventy six and three versus Kansas State. That was the one time he did it. 
Yep. I don't think there's another back in that room that's nearly as talented as he is. They brought in Jalen Jackson from Eastern Michigan, but Cartavius Norton's gone. Yep. He's going to Charlotte. And then um, who's the other one that transferred out? Uh, Eli Sanders. Yes. So I think he gets 100 more touches, probably more than that. Yeah. He only had 84 carries last year. Like, I think he, and he was super efficient, like 7.3 yards per carry. He's not going to continue. But I'm a really big believer in this Iowa State offense in 2024. So I want the running I can buy that. On that team. I just think, I just think they're primed for success, to be honest. I think that they're a really good situation. I think I will have a lot of Abu Sama if he's going to be going in this range. Like, I, I can make the case he should have gone around earlier, I think. Yeah, I would say it's definitely going to be interesting next year. They basically return everybody. Like you get, you get Noel and Higgins back at receiver. Abu Sama was their lead guy to kind of end the year there. Why Norton transferred out and everything like that. Rocco Beck, I think, is start. Like people are kind of starting to turn their heads a little bit, and Beck might be a um, better quarterback than a lot of us were kind of giving him credit for to start the season. For sure. So I, I, I agree with you that that offense will be very interesting. Going back to these quarterbacks here, you kind of touched on KJ Jefferson, KJ Jefferson, and Jackson Dart. If they continue to go in this range i'm gonna have a ton of them this year i love this value right here i was ready to draft either one of them in this round that they fell to me unfortunately they went uh two picks ahead of me and three picks ahead of me so i missed out there i end up grabbing carnal like every quarterback yeah every quarterback this round well shador i'm a little I'm worried not, about but like Hannigan, i actually was gonna say riley leonard is the one that i'm more concerned about okay well, well uh, uh, anyway Hennigan, that was a QB 14 last year. You get him in the sixth round. I like that. Nico Yamaleva, you touched on earlier. Like, Hennigan Hooker was QB 8 before he got hurt in 2022. And I think it's very possible that Nico could end up in that same range. I think he fits that system a lot better than Joe yeah. Milton did last year. And Joe Milton, even, even if it wasn't a fit, finishes a QB 29. So it's not like Milton was a complete dud last year, right? Like... That, that system still can't produce you have the right quarterback in there. So I like the Nico pick there. Um, Shador, I'm just a little bit off Pat Shermer. I'm a little bit worried about it. And again, when I have a guy like Nico right there who I could probably end up drafting in this range or Seth Hennigan or some of the other guys that go in a round or two later here, I probably will pass up on Shador Sanders once again this year. But Riley Leonard, let's talk about that box. The I don't, I don't know that he's... A fit for this system how so may i ask because like <laughs> denbrock denbrock we've seen perform wonders with Jaden daniels right and it took it took Jaden daniels two years to really kind of get started there but then before that denbrock was responsible for giving us um desmond ritter at cincinnati the year that he was a top 12 CF, cff qb i get the hesitation because again riley leonard coming off injury did not perform super well last year, but we've also seen the ceiling of Leonard can be a top 10 CFF quarterback. Because in 2022, he was a top 10 CFF quarterback at Duke. So I guess... Maybe I, sh I should not have phrased it the way I did. Let me take it back. So he probably is a good fit for the system. I don't think he's a good fit at Notre Dame because I think it's too high of a jumping competition for him. Okay. That's more my concern. I think he was a good ACC quarterback that had a lot of his flaws hidden by Kevin Johns. I think some of those flaws can get exposed against better competition. And I, I haven't I don't know Notre Dame's schedule off the top of my head, but I have a feeling it's probably harder than Duke's. So, so and I know ACC whatnot, but still I, I'm a little concerned. And it took 
Daniel's a year, to, like you said. Like I didn't think he was very good the year prior. Then he really yep. put it all together. But I'm just a little wary of Riley Leonard. Yeah, looking at Notre Dame's schedule here, uh, they start off at Texas A&M. So, boom, there you go, right off the bat. That's a tough matchup right there. But the rest of it, like like you mentioned, like with Notre Dame's deal with the ACC, right, um, they face Louisville, Stanford, or not Stanford, excuse me, not, not an ACC school, but Georgia Tech, Florida State, Virginia. Those are the ACC schools that they'll face this year. They get USC at the end of the year, which that's a tragedy of a defense, so that'll help them out a little bit. Um, they're all out of conference at that, quote-unquote, out of conference. Uh, NIU, Purdue, Stanford, Navy. Like, I think that's a pretty manageable schedule. Again, there's some clear games there that you don't really love like a&m florida state probably louisville if they keep going on the defense they had this year probably don't love that matchup but i could see him florida state florida state and usc to both end the season i think usc is gonna be better this year in defense like substantially so yeah but if you go from a turd sandwich to like a turd sandwich with a little bit of frosting on top like (laughs) (laughs) i i think USC is going to have a defense that potentially ranks top 30. That'd be a I think massive be- jump. Yeah, I, I think there's some scheme stuff and coaching stuff that um, Danton Lynn's going to get turned around pretty quick, to be honest. And you bring in, um, what's his name from North Dakota State? Like Putting a, putting a culture together that I think is going to just by default make them better. So I'm not totally ready to write USC off quite yet. So that concerns me because that's a pretty like difficult end of season if you think Florida State and USC like are good then that's two playoff matchups I don't know that is true maybe I'm just trying to find the case against Riley Leonard because I am just skeptical of the player Mm -hmm. and again coming off of injury definitely always something to consider as well uh one last thing I want to touch on here I kind of briefly touched on it when I was going through at the beginning Cardinal Tate wide receiver out of Ohio State he comes off here at 6.04, and Mecca Ibuka came off at 112. What do you think of that gap there, Box? Because I think that's a pretty insane gap between those two. I thought Ibuka went a little early, or at least earlier than where I would have taken him. Um, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, where would I take Cardinal Tate over? I would take him over Will Shepard. I would take him over Zachariah Branch. I would take him over Elijah Surratt. And so I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, okay, I think I can make the case that Tate should go at least probably around higher. I think he's the, the wide receiver two there. Um, and I don't know what that target distribution is going to look like. Heck, I don't even know how good Will Howard is. But I think it's too big of a gap, first of all, and I think Tate goes a little too late. Mm-hmm. There are players I would take Tate. or Yeah, there are players that I would take Tate over. Yeah, I have Tate. Tate pretty much came off right where I have him, right? Like I think he's wide receiver 27. In this draft, I have him ranked as wide receiver 26. To me, the big difference, like you said, is the fact that Ekbuka went, I think he's wide receiver four in this draft. I have him wide receiver 22. And I'm not that I'm not quite that low. I'm I'm that low I because I don't high. really see like I've I've looked at the slot wide receiver for Ohio State the last couple of years, and they're pretty much capped right at a hundred targets. So there isn't really unless they just go full force feed on Emeka this year, which is a possibility. Like, again, like he came back for a reason, right? Like if they were going to heavily feature him, he would have been in the draft this year, probably a first round wide receiver, if not early second round wide receiver, and he would be making bank right now, but they brought him back for another year. 
I still have him ranked ahead of Tate. I think that is the proper way to do this, but I don't have the gap between those two nearly as large as it was in this draft. Just thought it was some, something I th- found pretty interesting because with Carnell Tate, I pretty much see like his ceiling is getting the targets that Marvin Harrison Jr. got, right? Or like a Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave got right above that 100 target range. I think right here I have it 108 targets was what I was able to kind of get him to on a pretty consistent basis. And so if that's the case, like Tate probably, in my opinion, potentially has the higher ceiling of these two. But because we've seen Igbuka do it before, you got to take Igbuka before him. Yeah. I mean, I think Igbuka is a really good receiver in his own Oh, for sure. And so I understand. I mean, I don't know if I would take him at the end of round one, but I certainly would take him in round two. Okay. Just, I just the Ohio State offense, but I'm not quite as low on Ibuka as, as you seem to be. Um, but I am high on Cardinal Tate, so I, I agree with that part. All righty, let's finish this up about two thirds of the way through here. I say let's finish up. We're two, again, we're two thirds of the way through. We got a, we got a bit to go through here. <laughs> um, round seven, though, Mox. I know you're going to be happy with this round because the first tight ends are finally coming off the board here. But we'll start with the 701 that's not a tight end. It is C.J. Daniels, the wide receiver out of LSU. At 702, Noah Fita, the quarterback out of Arizona. At 703, you got Avery Johnson, the quarterback out of Kansas State. At 704, you got Miller Moss, the quarterback out of Southern Cal. At 705, Harold Fannin, the tight end out of Bowling Green. At 706, Jackson Arnold, the quarterback out of Oklahoma. At 707, you got P.J. Hatter, the quarterback out of Texas State. At 7.08, you got Will Howard, the quarterback out of Ohio State. At 7.09, Dalvin Smith, the tight end slash wide receiver hybrid over there at Western Kentucky. At 7.10, LeJonte Wester, the wide receiver out of Colorado. At 7.11, RJ Maryland, the tight end out of SMU. And then at 7.12, Chandler Morris, quarterback out of North Texas. The Mox, what stands out to you here, man? A uh, lot of good value in this round as well. Um, I, I think the quarterbacks, again, are really strong here. Uh, Fafita, I like Avery Johnson, although I think he's still pretty questionable as a passer. Um, Jackson, I would have taken Jackson Arnold earlier. I just think he's, frankly, awesome. I think he could be the best college football. Full disclosure. Well, quarterback in college football. Full disclosure. Disclosure. Arnold, okay. Arnold was a misfire on my part. I would have taken if, if in in this draft. I would have taken him in the sixth round if I saw that he was still there. I I I did not have him on my list for some reason, even though I definitely should have. I will be taking Arnold higher than seven oh six in the future. Yeah, I I re- I really like him. I'm really high on him. Um, Will Howard. I mean, two of his receivers have been drafted in the first six rounds. Like obviously, you have to take him. Mm-hmm. Um, and but my favorite pick of this entire round is C.J. Daniels at LSU. Okay. Because I'm a C.J. Daniels believer. I think he... You and Nick Allen both. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We the, the right side of history. You still have time to, to get on, people. Um, I, I thought he made Salter look a lot better than he was. Um, I think he's the most talented wide receiver in that room today. Wow. And I think Garrett Nussmeyer's a good quarterback. Put two and two together. I think he could have a big season. I really do. Um. So I'm, I love taking him there. I, I really like all the picks in this draft. I know you have to take a tight end per your rules. Yes. Um, 
Harold Fannin's, I mean, I don't know you can create a better case for him being the tight end one, but it also kind of tells you how weak the tight end class is this year. That, so it's know. it's interesting that you say it's a weak tight end class, you being the tight end guru of everybody, because a, a lot of the guys in the way too early mock draft special were talking about how deep the tight end class is. And I think it's a it's a matter of perspective, right? That's like we, we don't interesting. we don't have a Brock Bowers. We don't have a Michael Meyer. We don't have those Aronde Gadsden types, right? That are like clearly above everybody else worth taking in that first, second round range because of just how much they were above the competition. But I kind of agree with the rest of the guys that in terms of like that next tier of guys that you feel pretty comfortable with that you're willing to take your shots on, I would say this class is probably a little bit deeper than last year. Because again, we'll see as you kind of get into some of these tight ends in the next couple of rounds, man. Like, I'm pretty comfortable with almost all of these guys as my tight end one. Now, I think that there's still kind of a small tier break at the top. Because like looking at my tight end rankings, like Dalvin Smith to me, as long as he holds a tight end eligibility, he is the number one tight end for me. Like again, he is Yeah. Like, that Western I, I Kentucky it. offense passing so much. I mean Again, you can't take too much away from one game, but his utilization in the bowl game against Old Dominion tells me that they are going to heavily feature him moving forward. I feel pretty confident in that. We've seen he plays a lot on the outside, and we've seen that Western Kentucky offense feature the outside sometimes as well. In addition to the slot, I think he'll be too talented to ignore. Holden Willis is another guy that I'm pretty comfortable with as a top three tight end because again, like they lose Elijah Metcalf there at Middle Tennessee, they're still going to go bombs away week in and week out over there. So if he becomes the number one guy at Middle Tennessee, it's going to be hard not to have another receiver at tight end. Now, so again, I'm a big fan of bringing back Luke Lachey, who is not taken in this draft, by the way, um, which blows my mind. But I think, and then Harold Fan, I think those four to me are kind of like the slight 1A tier. And then there's a bunch of guys behind him that I'm comfortable with, but not as excited as those guys. So... Maybe my perspective is like forecasting more than it is um, the reality as we sit here on February 4th, as you listen on February 5th. Mm -hmm. I think Willis has a better shot to hold tight end eligibility because he played like 20 snaps in line last year. But he's listed as a wide receiver on that roster for the second straight year. Mm -hmm. Dalvin Smith is listed wide receiver on the Western Kentucky roster. Took zero in line snaps last year. Yeah, I'm not sure that they're, either of those guys are going to maintain eligibility. I think Willis is a better case. So that scares me because those are two players who are top five at their position, absolutely, assuming they keep eligibility. If they don't, I think you're you're really scraping by for tight ends. Like, I have no idea what to project RJ Maryland. I really like RJ Maryland, but, like, mm-hmm. I think he's up there. I, I have him probably as a top five tight end, but I, I don't think you can be confident in that projection. And then I look at the next round where, you know, a bunch of tight ends go as well. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I have no idea if those guys are going to work out or not. And a lot mm-hmm. of them are transfers. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't feel that like the position is super strong this year, I, I guess. And th- that's the assumption that I'm making that there's a, a good, a better than a better than 50% shot that those two lose eligibility just because the way they're listed and their utilization. I don't think Fantrax is going to do it again this year, but maybe they do. Oh, I agree. I'm going to be lobbying for Dalvin Smith, at least, to lose his tight end eligibility because of the fact he took zero inline snaps last year. He's not playing as a tight end. No problem there whatsoever with that. Holden Willis, I need to look to see what kind of snaps he had last year. If he took really more than, like, I'd say if he took more than 10% of his snaps in line, 
I'm okay with him not. keeping tight end eligibility at that point. He took 6% of his snaps in line. All right, then, Mr. Willis, you're a wide receiver, sir. <laughs> but at least he did something versus, like, Dalvin. Like, it's just yeah. nothing, right? Um, but as long as they do have that eligibility, it'd be malpractice not just, to take them. Just exploit the system. Exploit the system. That's all I got to do. So, um, a couple other things we could talk about in this round here. Um, again, you kind of touched on with the quarterbacks, right? Like, this is where we're seeing a lot of guys who are replacing CFF legends, right? Like Avery Johnson replacing Will Howard. He was a top 12 QB last year. Miller Moss replacing Caleb Williams. Jackson Arnold replacing Dylan Gabriel, right? Like, and you can kind of say Will Howard in a way, because he's replacing, he's replacing Kyle McCord, but he's really replacing as well guys like Justin Fields and CJ Stroud, where we know when they have the right system, a quarterback in that system, that that can really take off over there. So, that's why I think also kind of makes this quarterback group right here so strong is that all of these guys right here, because of the system they play in, have the potential to be top 12 quarterbacks on the year. The problem is with a lot of them, we just haven't seen enough out of them to really believe in them that much. Yeah. So. Yeah, but I have, I have honestly no issue taking them here either because, no. we, because of that reason, right? It's like the upside here is top five at their position. Yeah. The, upside, the upside for some of them is QB1. And for a lot of them, like for a lot of these teams that are drafting these guys in this range, these are QB twos on their team. Yeah. So they went, they like it. Um, yeah. So like um, Josh Chevalier, who grabbed Caden Salter in the first round, has Avery Johnson as his QB two. Like, there's a potential that he has two of the top five QBs on the year on his roster right there, and because they're just so yeah. far spread apart. But that's what you want in a range like this. So we'll see. Yeah, you can get somebody safe safe later somebody that's you know kind of what to expect um but I, yeah i like i like some of the the swings um and i love what froton did here too of going nico Malieva and jackson arnold like oh yeah that's probably a strategy that i will i will be doing as well yeah i i, I would i would salivate over those two for sure if i had them on the same team all right let's go round eight here box starting at the one at the 801 squirrel white the wide receiver out of tennessee 802, Jaden Higgins, the wide receiver out of Iowa State. 803, Holden Willis, we just talked about him, that tight end wide receiver hybrid over at Middle Tennessee. 804, Jalen Daniels, the quarterback out of Kansas. 805, Cole Wilson, the wide receiver out of Texas State. 806, Jake Brittingstool, the tight end out of Clemson. 807, Oscar Delp, the tight end out of Georgia. 808, uh, Preston Stone, the quarterback out of SMU. At 809, Benjamin Urasek, Tight end currently in the transfer portal, uh, choosing between Texas and Georgia. At least that was the last word for him. At 810, Noah Smith, wide receiver out of Sam Houston, comes off the board. At 811, Justin Jolie, the tight end out of NC State, formerly of UConn, comes off the board. And to finish out the round, Kobe Hudson, the wide receiver out of UCF, comes off the board at 812. Quick PSA, Noah Smith will not be going this late in any draft moving forward. Because I do think there was a legitimate question of whether or not he was returning next year, and it looks like he will be returning for one last year with the Bearcats. I can promise you, I will not let him fall this late moving forward. I have him as a top 10 wide receiver now that I know that he is back. Again, past 120 targets, that's a quick way to get into my top 15 wide receivers, and I like Noah Smith quite a bit. So... 
yeah that yeah i don't don't think he's going at eight ten moving forward y'all anyway mox back to you man what are your thoughts on the players here um again you know i alluded to it but a lots of still lots of questions at tight end um <coughs> i like i don't know it's just hard it's just a very tough to, position to predict year over year and i think you have to take a tight end in this draft but still i think there's a lot of questions i have um i love the Jaden Higgins pick might be my favorite pick in the whole draft to be honest um i think that he's a for a pretty big season as well um i like i like the noah smith pick obviously and keegan shoemaker who was our quarterback last year is was terrible mm-hmm. like he he stinks out loud man but they bring in Jace Bauer, who I think is at minimum an upgrade. Oh, for sure. So it'll be interesting to see what that passing offense looks like. Because in my opinion, it can only go up. And Noah Smith is a huge part of that. Um, Crazy part took, is that Shoemaker was an Daniels. upgrade over the guy they had before. And the, Oh, gosh. The, the, the first I, couple I, of weeks yeah. for Sam Houston was literally some of the worst offensive football I've ever seen in my life. Well, it was Grant Cannell playing, and then Shoemaker playing, and then he looked terrible, and it just was a mess of it. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think these are two very high upside players, and don't really know how to approach them for two different reasons. One, Jalen Daniels, I think the up, we know what the upside is. Yep. A little worried about the offense. Um, turnover, the same question I had about Devin Neal. And then his like weird injury last season. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he's gonna be fine, but it was such a weird like is he coming back, is he not coming back kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I assume he'll be healthy, but that I don't know, kind of weird vibe. And then Preston Stone, who I think will also be healthy, but he did break his leg at the end of November. So yeah. that that is a concern. And that was that was a stupid play he broke his leg on too because he shouldn't even been in that game they were blowing navy out and they kept him in and broke his leg so lesson learned Uh, yeah and i do think based on last year like we do have we really need to be better about taking into the account those late season injuries because think about like cameron rising right think about curtis i was drafting rising i've learned my lesson i know that's what i'm saying like i'm I'm not specifically talking about you mox like i was i was drafting rising where he was going as well like rourke i was drafting him as well because they kept telling us rourke was going to be fine rourke was going to be great like he is going to be 100 percent. he was the moment we watched him start playing for ohio in week zero we knew for a fact like this is not the same rook he is still recovering from this injury i don't know what kind of propaganda they were trying to and push he, out and he there. got hurt and he got hurt in week one too and like like I, I i'm with you i am not buying late season injuries anymore i'm just not i'm just not like i at too much risk Way, way too much risk, especially if they, it, um, if, unless they're on your bench, like you're getting them that late to where like, okay, they don't work out, you cut them. And it didn't really hurt you because you weren't planning on starting them week one anyway. But yeah, I agree. Like definitely have to take into account that a little bit more. One guy I find a little interesting here is Squirrel White. And last year I would consider him one of the bigger busts in CFF last year. But here's the thing, like I didn't realize this. He had 93 targets last year. It's just that he had Joe Milton throwing him the ball. And they weren't really doing the deep shot stuff like we thought they were going to be able to. I think he is a big candidate for a bounce back season this year. Like with Nico Iamalieva there. Too. Like, say again? 
No, I was just say I I agree, but wide receivers are so deep that like you can get a guy like him here. You can get a guy with that level of upside. Oh yeah, because of how bad that season was. Or, underwhelming to expectations, I should say. Still at yes. 800 yards. Um, but he oh, had 40 for sure. touchdowns. He had like two touchdowns in the whole season. Um, yeah, I I think that's a that's a huge upside play. Mm-hmm. Like the upside with that pick is tremendous. Absolutely. The floor is could also be pretty low, potentially. Yeah, because he definitely got hurt quite a few times last year. But even guys like like Kobe Hudson, right? Like a great pick here in my opinion. Because again, I, I have him tabbed as like getting around eighty eight targets next year, right? Like again, doesn't quite hit that hundred yard threshold and everything like that. But it's 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 close. Like it's within fifteen. And the major thing is like if Joey Hobart went down for any reason whatsoever, Wilson's immediately their top guy. And he immediately yeah. jumps into that conversation of getting a hundred plus targets, if not 120 plus targets. And that's kind of the guys you want to shoot for around here. Again, Kobe Hudson, I think is another very interesting one, given the target share that Javon Baker was getting at the end of the year. I think Hudson could absolutely pick up where Javon Baker left off. So great. Again, that's what I was trying to tell you. Like wide receiver, I think is deeper than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, it's, it has, um, more upside in later rounds than I think it usually does. Mm-hmm. That's it. May, maybe, yeah. No, I I maintain that. I think getting Squirrel White, getting Jaden Higgins here, like every wide receiver that went in that round has potential to finish as a top ten option. Like there's a path for it. Yeah, for so, sure. That's what you want in these in these rounds. That's like exactly what you need. All right, let's finish up with our last round here. Again, this draft only went nine rounds because of how early we are in the season. We're going to very quickly move towards some deeper drafts. The Mock draft that I have going right now already. We're planning on making that one 16 rounds. And pretty much by the time Fantrax moves us over to 2024 season, we'll be quickly getting into the 20 rounders, 25 rounders for you guys moving forward. Um, But again, round nine here, last round of this draft. Started off at the 901. Colston Loveland, the tight end of Michigan. 902, Kentra Bullock, the running back out of South Alabama. 903, Amari Nyblack, the tight end out of Texas. At 9.04, you got Cam Camper, the wide receiver out of Boise State, formerly of Indiana. At 9.05, you got Nicholas Singleton, the running back out of Penn State. At 9.06, you got Travion Henderson, the running back out of Ohio State. At 9.07, Rashad Owens, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma State. At 9.08, Caden Prescorn, the tight end of Ole Miss. At 9.09, DJ Uyangalele, the quarterback out of Florida State, formerly of Oregon State, formerly of Clemson. At 9-10, you got Joey Aguilar, quarterback out of Appalachian State. At 9-11, you got Jalen Milrow, quarterback out of Alabama. And then at 9-12, Brant Keithy, the tight end out of Utah. So, Mox, in this final round here, what is sticking out to you? And there is one player that we are required to talk about, given your back and forth between you and Kay earlier this week on in our Slack. So, do you want to go ahead and get him out of the way, Mox? Yeah, we talk about him. Um, I'm not a believer in Jalen Miller, the quarterback. I just honestly am not sure that he is all that great. I think Austin Mack might be better than him, and we haven't even seen Austin Mack. But given how good he is on a week-to-week basis, this is a good pick where it happened. I do think there is risk, though, depending where you rank him. Because, I mean, he goes at, what, quarterback 20 here or something? Quarterback 24. 24. 
Yeah, that I think that's totally appropriate and fine, and I think he could go a little bit higher than this. I take issue when it starts getting pushed up to like 15, 12, 10. I think there's more risk with the Jalen Miller situation than people would believe. Austin Mack, we didn't love as a recruit uh, as at Kemp's can, but it tells me that Kalen DeBoer thinks Austin Mack's pretty good, that he oh, brought yeah. him and was like willing to ditch a five-star for Austin Mack. I mean, I know sure. it wasn't his guy, but but still. So I just think there's more risk in that situation because it's not K- – Kalen DeBoer has no allegiance to Jalen Milrow at all there's no reason why he would not hesitate to bench him if he plays poorly so i could see i could see it happening is all i'm saying miro is definitely going to be one of the more interesting guys to watch here because before the saban retirement i had miro as my qb1 i had somebody call me out on twitter the other day they're like well jerry like you had you had Milro as your QB one, and you you left him fall to the ninth round. Like what happened there? Well, one because of everything going on, I was super curious to see like where the rest of the CFF community had Milro going. So, so I made it a goal of mine not to pick Milro in this first draft because I was really curious to see what others thought about him. And well, I was kind of surprised by how far he fell here, for sure. But here's the thing. Mox, if he if we get to the fall, right, and Milrose still the guy, like it, all the talk is that Milrose the guy, and he's gonna run Kalen DeBoer's system, he absolutely will move up in drafts, and he will absolutely end up being a first round pick, given Kalen DeBoer's system, given his production last year to end the season, given his skill set on the ground, like. You're not telling me that if he if you're getting that confidence more and more that he is going to be the guy for Kalen DeBoer, like that you wouldn't want that you wouldn't want to take that shot at that point. I can absolutely see him rise skyrocketing throughout the year as long as we get that confirmation that DeBoer is riding with Milro. I think he'll start week one. Like I'm actually like ninety nine percent confident that he'll be the week one starter. After week one is what concerns me. After week after week four is really where I start questioning whether or not he has a quick trigger to pull him because that's the week they played Georgia. And I know he beat Georgia last year. Sorry. That's all good. I I I don't know. I just don't think Jalen Miller is like a super talented quarterback. So if he can't play this if he can't run the system that Kalen DeBoer has, and I'm not totally sure he can. But I think we'll know that I, by spring, right? Cool. Like, like spring practices, like DeBoer will know. There's a re- like you said. There's a reason why he brought Austin Mack over from Washington. He I don't is- think he's. Be- I don't think he's benching Jalen Miller regardless, though. Like, I don't think he can do that. To all the players that stuck around, like Jalen Miller beat. Like they finally beat Georgia. Sorry, I keep saying it, but no, like, no, it's, it's a big, good. It's a big good. win for the program, right? Like that was a huge win to get them into the playoff. I don't think you can. I don't think you can bench Jalen, but I like or not start him week one. I do think you can bench him though if he performs poorly. And I think, given the lack of allegiance, it could happen. So I don't think that I will take him. But if there's that lack of allegiance, then he would have no problem benching him in the spring. That's kind of my point. Is that we're gonna know by the time the fall rolls around. Lose the locker room. I just I just don't think anybody who was there last year, and like part of the team, I think you would have like a locker room revolt. To be honest, I don't think the fan base would like it either. Oh no, the fan base definitely would not like, like it. it. I just don't think you could do it. Like, even if he believes that Austin Mack is better to start Week One, I don't think he'll start him. And I'm not sure that Austin Mack will be. I just don't think you can do that if you're Kalen DeBoer. I, 
like you not have enough political capital with this Alabama fan base yet. Fair or enough. team. Fair enough. Again, again, I'm I'm I'll be I'll be in the boat where if we're getting to the fall and Milrose still gonna be the clear number one guy and I'm not getting a whiff of competition from camps and everything like that, I'll be riding high on him. I'll be fully I'll be fully ready to take him on. So Yeah. I get it. Other other here's another thing I find interesting in this round, Mox. If you were to go back two years ago and you told CFF folks that Travion Henderson and Nick Singleton would be ninth round picks in Singleton's third year and Henderson's fourth year now. What do you think the reaction would have been? Shock. Disbelief. Like, you just got disbelief. I mean, it's pretty crazy where the each respective um, career has gone. Which... Henderson would be higher if it wasn't for Quinshawn Judkins coming in. For sure. Obviously. Um, and I'm not sure who I would... I'll, I'll draft whichever goes later of the two. Um, the, like we talked about earlier, there won't be this big of a gap um, most drafts. But I like I think Nick Singleton had a bad year last year, but I still would take him like earlier than this. The upside is just massive. Mm-hmm. Like both of the, both Trayvon Henderson and Nick Singleton should be going rounds above this in my in my opinion, um, because you have a path I think to a top five running back. Like I like it, it, you can see it, right? I don't know that Singleton will get there because he has Katron Allen, but an injury to either of the either Katron Allen or Quinshawn Judkins, that upside is just massive. Oh, for sure, because you know these backs are probably both really good players. I know Nick Singleton has some questions about his vision and um but he can win like ninety nine percent of the time in college with athleticism. That's sure. my thought on, on both these guys. So I, I like taking a shot on them. In yeah, the, especially in the ninth round. And again, I wonder if the draft rules had something to do with this a little bit here, where again, some people were already capped out of the number of running backs they could take in this draft. I'm interested to see what these running backs and wide receivers start looking like in some of these other mock drafts that we're going to be able to do where we don't have that restriction of like how many guys you're supposed to have and everything by a certain round and stuff like that. So I think that'll probably push them up a little bit. Good. What do you think of the Kentrell Bullock pick? Cause I like it a lot. I like it quite a bit. Um, full disclosure. Um, this was a guy that I, like Austin, Austin, asked me about the, him a couple of weeks before. And I think that's part of the reason why he took him here is that like, I, I do really like Kentrell Bullock quite a bit. Again, LaDamian Webb is out. You're talking about a guy that was at the power five level moving down to South Alabama it was a clear backup behind LaDamian Webb this year. Um, I think this is right around the perfect range for him. Cause I still think there's a possibility with the, coaching change and everything like that. Again, obviously the offensive coordinator was promoted and everything like that. So you would assume it's still going to have a workhorse back role there, but there's, you know, the slight risk of things changing up a little bit there, but you know, ninth round, I'll take, I'll take that shot. Again, third, third running back, fourth, fifth running back off the board for your team. Sometimes if you're that crazy to draft that many running backs by the ninth round, but I, I take that shot easily. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good pick there. Um, I really, really like Bullock. I like the offense that Major Apple White runs for running backs. Um, like you said, he was promoted. So 
what I'm about, a fan. Um, what about the Camp Camper pick? Or, like, I don't are, know are you taking Camp Camper? Are you taking a shot on any of these Boise State wide receivers? Because I think I think there's going to be a top wide receiver for Boise State next year. They got Malachi Nelson there, a pretty much an upgrade in the passing department for uh, their quarterback. They were still able to feed Eric McAllister last year, who I think is just going to end up flaming out at TCU. I have no clue what the hell happened there. Yeah. Um, but even still, like Chris Marshall, former five-star they're bringing in, Camp Camper, who at one point when he was healthy at Indiana was leading the nation in targets, so clearly a guy that is comfortable in a role getting that men- that much volume. Prince Strawn is a true freshman last year that we like quite a bit. Latrell Caples is a guy that a lot of people have kind of forgotten about because he got injured right before the start of last season. He was a guy that a lot of people were kind of talking about, outperformed Stephon Cobbs the year before. A lot of good options, in my opinion, Mox, but like none of them really stand out to me as like clear guys that I'm going to take a shot on. Do, do you prefer any of those four guys? I guess I would prefer Camper, but like since that huge season, like two years ago, they got hurt, and like I have no idea what to think about him, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure he how good he is or isn't. Um, but that receiver does not have a lot of uh competition. I don't, I, Chris Marshall, I don't really think anything of. Um, he's kind of a disaster off the field, so I kind of even even see him this year, to be honest. Um, I like Prince Strawn too. Uh, was pretty good as a true freshman, pretty explosive downfield threat. But yeah, I mean, Camper is the guy. I think if you're going to target somebody, to target. I just okay. don't. I just. I honestly don't know about him. To be to be <laughs> frank, so not exactly a ringing endorsement, but it is an endorsement nonetheless. Uh, last thing I'll touch I mean, on that here. offense is going to be good. Oh, for sure. It's just, it's... I don't know how good. I don't know if wide wide receiver is actually going to emerge or not, or it's just going to be. It could also be that Nelson's a complete bust. He could. If Nelson is a complete bust, that should be such a recruiting whiff because he was so good and so accurate. Oh, yeah. In high school. I don't know why. I'm I'm very curious to see what happens. We'll definitely see. One last thing I want to touch on this round is again, this is just more. um, This to me is just more evidence that, like, while the elite QB options at the top are pretty shallow. There's still a lot of depth in the second tier quarterbacks because like DJ Uyangalele, quarterback 34 last year, going to play for an offense that basically made Jordan Travis a locked in QB 25 to 30 each year. The last two years, like I think you're going to get a very safe pick in DJU there at Florida State. Joey Aguilar, quarterback 13 last year. Now granted, he threw a crap ton of touchdowns. Um at App State last year, but again, second year as a starter there, I really don't see how he would fall further than like QB 25. So another very safe pick there. I think that, you know, you got to take advantage of when you see a guy that performed as well as he did last year fall to that late without any real major structural change there at App State. Really kind of hard not to not to like that pick quite a bit. I love that pick um, a lot, actually. I think it's, a fantastic pick. I if Joey Aguilar did not go to App State and he was somewhere else, maybe with more media coverage, he goes higher in this draft. And this is like the sharpest people, like in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I still don't think pe- like people really have grasped that he threw for thirty seven hundred yards and thirty three touchdowns last year. Yep. Like 
he was pretty pretty good. Yeah, absolutely for sure. And like again, like it's not like we haven't had productive quarterbacks out of the system in the past, right? Like um Chase Bryce, his last year at App State yeah. was a was a pretty solid year for CFF. And like again, this is this is part of the reason why I keep my own stats for CFF each year. Like I have my own spreadsheet that like tracks people how they go up and down throughout the season and everything. So I don't miss guys like that cuz like I never like I, if I didn't do that mocks, I'd be with everybody else where like I would just have forgotten about Joey Aguilar. I would have been like, yeah, he was he was fine. Like, you know, like a twenty like twenty three point per game kind of guy, not realizing that that was good enough to get him into the top fifteen of quarterbacks last year. And that's where you that's where you can start, try to find either. some value here. What was that? He didn't even start either. Ryan Breaker started. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. like and and my maybe stuff that part, maybe that's part of it too. Exactly. So yeah, no, I, I'm I I love that pick quite a bit there. And again, just more of the tight ends here. A uh, lot of, I say my guy picks at tight end. Yeah, yeah. I was I was listening to some of the special. I didn't want to listen to too much of it because, um, I wanted to come in like relatively blind to this. Um, but I this is a pick that I would make. I love I love the Brand Keithy pick. I just I, yeah. just, I, ca- I can't quit. He's played like four games in the last two years. He's hurt all the time, but when he's healthy, when he's healthy, magic. It's magic. And magic. so, I think you could take the risk on him because he- heck, it's tight ends. Like you're like what what is nobody gets it right anyway. This t- I don't think this tight end class is very good. He is a player who if he's healthy will be a top five tight end he just has to stay healthy yeah and like again like i think it's a viable strategy that like right in this range if this is where tight ends are going to continue to go right like in the 10th round 11th round 12th round i would take two tight ends relatively close to each other in this range because like some guys here that i'll throw out real quick again i know we're going long but this is a fascinating conversation with the tight ends here some guys here that didn't get taken in this draft that I think are worth considering in this range. Jack Vailing, Oregon State, going to Michigan State, following Jonathan Smith. He's top five tight end for me right now. Aranda Gatson out of Syracuse. Like, if he keeps his tight end eligibility, doubt he will, but even still, if he does, like, people are going to want to take a shot on a guy playing receiver with tight end eligibility. Luke Haas. Anybody remember who Luke Haas? Absolutely phenomenal for Arkansas for a couple of weeks there. True freshman, then gets hurt. But, like, he was he was a top four tight end for CFF last year before he got hurt, right? Like, that's a great one. Mason Taylor didn't get drafted here out of LSU. Like, that could be a really another really big one right there. And, again, like, just some other fun ones. Like, uh, Michael Harrison going from Colorado, San Diego State, following, um, following um, oh, my God, Sean Lewis. Following yeah. Sean Lewis there. When he was on the field last year, after Travis Hunter went down, he was phenomenal. But now he's going to follow Sean Lewis, San Diego State, step down to competition. That could be a ton of fun. Drake Dabney, formerly a Baylor, now at TCU. Look what they did with Jared Wiley last year. Like, tons of fun guys that didn't even get drafted here that I think like warrant taking two tight ends kind of in this middle range of the draft. Just again, like you said, Mox, no, none of these guys are surefire bets. But I would feel a lot better if I had two shots on guys within this range rather than take one shot and then just wait forever to grab a second tight end. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of upside tight ends. And um, 
like Luke Kosh is a pretty interesting name, right? Because he tore his ACL in week like four or five. Yes. So you would assume that he's healthy again, but we know. thought the same thing about Cam Rising um, last year, or not Cam Rising, Frank yeah. Keithy last year. Yeah, it, well, Cam Rising too. Well, Cam Rising right? tore like, his ACL. He gonna... Well, Rising tore his. Bowl... He tore it in November. Yeah, in the bowl game. In December. Yeah. Versus Penn State. So, yeah. Fair. Versus Keithy was like yeah, I, I think week three. I think he was. Yeah. So. But yeah, you sometimes you just don't know with with these. You think the recovery is going to be a lot smoother than it is, and sometimes that's not the case. So that's that's something I'm trying to be more cognizant of moving forward in terms of my drafting. I'm not like we. I mean, we had this conversation, but like it applies to all positions, really. Yeah. Just understand what the injury is and what the timeline is, and then like add time to it. Not not to completely blow up his DMs, but like I would heavily recommend if you can reach out to Nate Marquise because again he does um, physical therapy on the side, and so he is very knowledgeable of a lot of these injuries. And whenever I start asking about timelines for certain injuries, he's probably the first guy I go to in order to get a pretty knowledgeable, um, a pretty knowledgeable uh, estimated guess or educated guess, excuse me, in terms of how long these guys are going to take to recover. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just understand that risk is part of your selection in general. Absolutely. So Mox, uh, we're going long anyway here, so I might as well just ask you now that you've seen the full draft board and everything, you kind of see like dove in pretty deep into everything. What was kind of your main takeaway from everything that maybe you weren't thinking about before? Um, depth and upside. Um, I think I think you can wait on wide receiver and get really really interesting upside options. Um, like the last two rounds, I think we're full of them. Mm-hmm. I think if you want to feel really comfortable on running back, I think you probably need to take one in the first two rounds. Not that there ups- isn't upside later. It's just I'm not sure how comfortable I feel. I think that um, waiting on running back this year. I think that Justin Leo said it really, really well in the special where he was talking about like it's a deep year for running back. Like we were talking about it, Mox. Like guys into the fifth round, we were loving at the running back position, yeah. but it still cuts off at one point because there can only be so many in Justin's terms, volume pigs out there. There's only so many guys out there that are going to get that 200 plus touches year in and year out, even in a really, really deep year. It's just a matter of how many situations seem settled before the season starts versus like how many are still in flux this year. It feels like we have a lot of situations where it's not as in flux as it was in the past. So that's why it feels so deep, but it's still worth investing, in my opinion, in that position pretty early on because of how deep it is, because of how strong you can feel about it versus like in years past, maybe you're investing in running back early on, but there's a lot more questions, especially in those third to fifth round guys than there are in guys like this year. Yeah, I I mean, I'm looking at the board and I'm like, okay, after round, even get, after round two, I think you can make an argument that a lot of these guys... Um, have a huge range of outcomes um you know i don't know what to expect from jalen white i don't know what to expect from jordan james i don't know what to expect from donovan edwards no they're all three rounded round three guys damian martinez like 
it's such a it's a deep room because we've seen a lot of guys perform. Mm-hmm. We also have a lot of questions about it because of how much turnover there is. So yes, it's a deep position. Yes, you can get guys you like later. I think the amount of variance in outcome is a little bit higher, if that makes sense. No, for sure. H- higher than people would initially guess based on the names that we're looking at. I think so. I, no, I wouldn't just pencil in year over year um, production, I guess is really the, the point. Yeah, absolutely. Again, not only just because of the transfers, but also, again, the, the amount of coaching turnover we saw this past year was yeah. crazy. So definitely something you had to keep an eye on. So with that being said, Mox, really appreciate you joining here, man. Again, I need to get you on here more often uh, for these discussions. You always bring excellent analysis whenever you bring when you whenever you come on here. So let's make it happen more often this off season. And for all of you absolutely. out there, oh, sorry, Mox, go ahead. I was gonna say absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I I always enjoy it. Absolutely. Um, one last thing, Mox. Um, again, obviously returning production. Um, some great stuff with Campus of Canton and everything like that coming out right now, but. Can you give a preview for those those out there as to what's coming down the line for Campus of Canton? Yeah, we're working hard on getting some of our um, like yearly guides out. I know the recruiting team is spending a lot of time on theirs and working really hard to you know get it out. I think relatively soon. Um, you know, it's one of my favorite pieces of work that the entire company puts out, just because I I'm not as good as they are at you know identifying talent, and they we've had some big hits in the past. And I, you know, I look forward to it every year. It's a pretty unique um, piece of content that we put out. So yeah, I, that's that is our focus currently. And it, again, it's been basically for anybody playing really. I mean, CFF. If you want to try to hit on some of these freshmen early that nobody's really talking about, a place to go and find guys like Kevin Concepcion, find guys like Trey Wilson. You can really kind of dig deep on some of those guys uh, from this past year. In addition. Um, again, if you play any campus again league, obviously it's basically a Bible for you. And then CFF Dynasty, if you, and if you guys play keeper leagues or anything like that, go ahead and get yourself a head start. And guys are coming down the line. It's absolutely incredible content for you year in and year out. I enjoy getting it every single year. So, with that, we have come to the end of our show. Thank all of you for listening. If you have not already, leave a like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're on podcast, make sure you follow the show and leave a five star review wherever you can. Uh, make sure you guys check out the rest of the Campus of Canton Podcast Network for shows ranging on pretty much anything you can think of related to the college fantasy game. We'll catch you guys next time here, next Monday, where we're going to start breaking down some of these major coaching changes that I kind of hinted at at the end of the show here for this next season and how it's going to impact some of your favorite players. Until then, really appreciate you guys and hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week. See y'all.